All right, beloved, we are in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we finished chapter 1 last week. This morning, we're just going to look at the first three verses of chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to pick up one of those blue Bibles located underneath, possibly the seat around you. You can turn in that Bible to page 1014. 1014, and that'll bring you to 1 Peter chapter 2. Have you ever heard that, uh, the phrase, maybe you've said it to your kids, or maybe somebody has said it to you, uh, stop acting like a baby, you know, or grow up, grow up, stop acting like a baby. You ever heard that? A few of you, okay. Have you said it? Well, believe it or not, the Apostle Peter actually says or instructs his Christian readers to act like babies, to act like babies, or newborn infants. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at that this morning and see what that's all about, okay? First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, I'll read these three verses, and then we'll jump into the text together. So Apostle Peter writes this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, and envy in all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay? That's our text. Short, but, but a lot here, actually. So we're going to begin, I'll do it a little differently. Normally I just kind of move through the passages verse by verse. This morning I'm going to begin with verse 2 in our study together. But I want to draw your attention to something that I'm going to come back to at the end um, before I get into verse 2. The ESV, the translation we use, the English Standard Version, and the NIV, another good translation of the Bible, they both put a period at the end of verse 1. You might notice that, I just read it if you have a copy of the ESV. And basically, they make verse 2 a new sentence. Okay, do you see that? However, in the Greek, the language that our translations are translated from, verses 1 through 3 are actually one long sentence. Just one long sentence. The New American Standard Bible reflects the original text more closely in this regard. So I want to read that to you, show that to you. New American Standard Bible translates verses 1 through 3 this way. And I also have a comment um, about some, another translation choice they make here, and I'll mention that when we get to it. So verse 1, it reads like this, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Pause right there for a second. You'll see a difference here as well. The ESV and most other translations uh, call it the pure spiritual milk, but the NASB and the New King James translate the Greek word translated spiritual in most translations. They translate it of the word, of the word, okay? Now listen, I'll just say quickly, how to translate this particular word is not entirely clear, and so it's debated among Bible scholars, and this is why you have some of the differences that we see in our translations. If it is spiritual, if that's the way to translate it, the meaning could be that this milk is for the soul. 
okay? Milk for the soul, or milk that meets our spiritual needs. And spiritual is generally the way it's translated. If we are to understand it to be a reference to the word, if it is a milk of the word, then it is no doubt intended to be a reference to God's word, okay? So I'll just say that, and we'll get more into this as we move on. But here again, looking at the NASB, Like newborn babies, verse 2, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So, why should we care? All right? Why even stop and show you that? Why why should we care? Verses 1 through 3 are actually one long sentence. Well, I'm going to come back to it in a moment. But verse 1, the reason I'm showing you that is verse 1 is not independent from verse 2. It's not independent. It's not a, a, just a separate statement on its own, as one might conclude by reading the English Standard Version, the one we use here, and the NIV. But rather, what Peter says in verse 1 is connected to what he says in verse 2. Okay? We, the translators are the ones who put the verse numbers there. So, but it's one long sentence in the Greek. Verse 1 is connected to verse 2, where the central command there is to long for the pure spiritual milk. That's the central command of the passage, and verse 1 and verse 3 are associated with that command. One long sentence. Another translation of the text, just to show you again, to emphasize this, another good translation is the NET, and it does it this way. It, 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 it also puts a period at the end of verse 1, but I'll show you something. It says this, So get rid of all evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and yearn like newborn infants for pure spiritual milk so that by it may grow up to salvation. Okay, you see the word end there? So if you're looking at the NET, they, they I believe, create a new sentence for readability because it's a long sentence. But they tell you in their translation notes that they supply or add the word end because it's not there in the original to show clearly that there is a connection between verse and one, verse 1 and verse 2. There is a connection. The, thing, the two things go together, right? It's like, go get your keys, start the car. There's, you know, it's not separate things. These things go together, all right? So hold on to that thought. I just wanted to tell you that, and, and that there is a connection, and we'll come back to that, and it's an important connection for you not to miss. So what is the pure spiritual milk? Now we'll dive into verse 2. What is this pure spiritual milk that like newborn babies or infants, we as Christians are to long for? Now, if you accept the New American Standard Bible translation I just showed you, where it says milk of the word, okay, then that makes it more clear that it's referring to the word of God. But as I said, other good translations choose the word spiritual, which doesn't necessarily specify what this milk is exactly, all right? But most Bible commentators do understand this milk to be the Word of God, and I concur. There are several good reasons for understanding it this way, okay? Such as, these are a few, there are more, such as the immediate context of the passage or the verses at the end of chapter 1. So, Just let your eyes scroll back. Let me show you that. Verses 23 through 25, right? These are the verses leading right up to 
chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here in this section, Peter repeatedly makes reference to the word of God. Let me read it for you. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So when you get to verse 2, and again, there were no chapter breaks or verses in the original. It's just a letter, okay? That was added so that we could move through the text and help us find passages and such. And and it's the translator's uh, opinion of where maybe a new thought starts or a new idea. So they, make, they put in chapter headings. But again, it was just one long flowing thing. So when you get to this section in verse 2 where he's talking about this pure spiritual milk, if the reader was reading it, just like we are, and they were to ask, what is he talking about? It would make sense in light of the context that, okay, the idea that was just brought up and repeated over and over again is the word of God. It's in the immediate context. I wouldn't have to try to figure out or wonder what this pure spiritual milk might be. When you add to that these things like God's word is pure, that idea, that is an Old Testament uh, concept. So that's not new either, right? So they would begin, these, these kind of keywords kind of help us cue in on what this is. God's word is pure. We see that in Psalm 12. 6, and also Psalm 19.8, to name a few places, okay? Uh, So he refers to this pure spiritual milk. Additionally, the thought of longing for God's word is not a new idea either. It's found in the Old Testament as well. We see that in Psalm 119.20 and also 131. So Peter, like newborn babes, long for this milk. Other reasons could be stated as well, but bottom line, that Peter is referring to the Word of God in verse 2 definitely makes sense and fits as the best option when you take all things into consideration, okay? And I only say that because there are some different opinions about what it is he's referring to, but I believe the best choice when you look at it all, look at everything that's involved, that Peter is making a reference to the Word of God. That's the pure spiritual milk. Now, Peter describes this milk, as I've already mentioned, or the Word of God, as pure, right? Pure. Literally, the definition is not or unadulterated. Unadulterated or not adulterated. So what does that mean? It means not contaminated, not tainted. There is nothing inferior added to it. Okay, that's what uh, the word means. So the Word of God, beloved, listen is very unlike the word of the world. Are you with me? The word of God is very unlike, in this sense, the word of the world, because the word of the world, or maybe um, you might say the wisdom of the world or the information that we receive from this fallen world is generally contaminated. It is tainted, meaning that it may have truth in it, but often there's a mixture of inferior product as well, okay? It's contaminated. And so if we want the pure thing, the good thing, the thing that, and Tim was referring to it this morning, and I just find it amazing how these things always seem to work together, but the thing that we can trust for sure, right, it is 
the word of God. It is pure. Peter says like newborn babies or infants, we are to long for the pure milk or the word of God. That word that's translated long in the ESV, it's a strong word, okay? It's a strong word. It means to to yearn or to intensely crave or deeply desire or to long after. But notice that Peter doesn't just say long for the word, okay? He doesn't just say that. Rather, he uses the imagery of a newborn baby's desire or craving for milk to picture for us as believers how we then are to long for, yearn for the Word of God, the Word of God. One writer commenting on this says, We are to long for spiritual milk in the same way that new babies long for milk. How is that, beloved? Have you had had babies or been around newborn infants? Well, they earnestly crave mama's milk or milk, okay? Uh, And... Is it just every once in a while that they have this craving? Huh? How often? Like every two hours. It's a frequent, an ongoing, a longing, a desire for, a strong desire for. The picture is helpful. That's why he uses it. But you need to think it out a little bit. One writer says, it's a metaphor easily understood by any parent whose sleep has been interrupted by the crying of a young baby hungry for milk, okay? And I know this well because um, our first children were twins, so there were two babies longing for mama's milk, and that's an interesting thing to try to manage, but... Um, but you, you could see there is, there is no satisfying that child until he or she gets what he or she yearns for. Huh? You with me? Think it through. Think through the illustration. It is nourishment that that child is getting through mama's milk, and they need it and want it, and they let you know it. You know, I was just even thinking more through the the illustration as you just take that picture and put it in your mind. There is nothing like the look on a baby's face after it has received its mama's milk. Do you know what I'm talking about? Allie and I refer to it as milk drunk. No, there's just a certain calm, a peace, a little milk running... Their arms kind of go back, right? A little bit before that, there's some intensity, there's some yelling, there's, uh, you know, trying to get situated and all that. And then, wow, they're, they're, they're taking it in, and then true satisfaction. But within a couple of hours, they're back at it again, 
Okay? Keep the picture in your mind. Because like that, we as Christians are to long for this. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking, I've said this before, but it's like, okay, pastor, is this another sermon on how important the Word of God is? Yeah. <laughs> because it just keeps coming up in the Word of God because it is so important. There are no shortcuts to our nourishment or to our growth. It comes through the Word of God. So this is a a helpful image that Peter uses here. Now, there, there is a mistake some people have made concerning this text. And um, so I want to address that to make sure you don't make that mistake as well. Some scholars or Bible commentators conclude that the readers were of 1 Peter here were new Christians since they are, in a sense, they see it as being compared to newborn babies. So, uh, like newborn infants, like, in other words, what Peter is saying is, you know, you're like newborn infants, so you, you need to crave your mother's milk. That's not what Peter, he's not identifying his readers as newborn infants. He's using it as an illustration, and he's telling them to be like infants. And why is that important? Because that means that this is not instruction for the new believer only. This is instruction for every believer, new to the faith or a long time in the faith. Okay? So there's a little bit of difference, right? In the sense that he's telling now adult Christians who may some may be new in the faith and some that Peter were writing to may have been mature, a long time in the faith. He's telling them both, regardless of their level of sanctification, to crave the word of God like an infant. You with me? In other words, this craving is never to cease. Unlike a baby where we would say, okay, you're, you know, I'm moving you on to other things now, or we are to remain in that state in this sense of craving. You with me? Also, don't want you to do this. I don't want you to confuse Peter's words concerning milk, because maybe we read this and you thought, doesn't the Bible speak about milk and some other places too? It does. Paul uses this illustration of milk and children, and Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, uses it as well. Listen, don't confuse the two, okay? Because in both Paul's words and Hebrews, it's critical. This illustration is used to be critical of the readers. It's derogatory. Peter is not using it in that way. So yes, they use the same terms, but they use them in different ways. Let me just show you so you never make that mistake. Because I mean, you maybe have said this or you've heard someone say, I need more than the milk. I need the solid food of God's word, you know? And where does, do people just make that stuff out of the air? No, they get it out of the scriptures. That actually is in the scriptures. But it's a, it's a different context. It's a different illustration being used. So let me show it to you. Just so you don't confuse the two. Here Paul says, again, 
And again, remember, he's, he's, a, he's, he's indicting these both cases. The readers are being indicted for their spiritual immaturity. For their spiritual immaturity. So here in 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. Okay? Okay, that's derogatory. That's a, it's a critique. But don't confuse the two. Oh, see, I shouldn't desire milk. Hold on. Let me read the other one. Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child or infant, other translations. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Okay? So in both of those texts that I just read you, milk is being used as, again, an illustration, but it's being compared to solid food, right? And milk is more easily digestible, right? Because it takes a while for a baby before you can give them solid food, right? Because their system, their digestive system is not ready. So you give them milk. So both Paul and the writer of Hebrews are using that illustration from nature to speak to the readers and say, you guys should be ready for the deeper, more difficult things to digest in God's word. You should be ready for that. But I got to come back and give you the basics, the more easily digestible stuff, the milk. You with me? Different text. Here, where we are back in Peter, Peter is using that beautiful illustration of just a baby's desire for mom's milk, an infant's desire and that craving that they had. And he identifies, based on the way I translate the, he's identifying the, this milk, that pure spiritual milk we believe to be as the word of God. Okay? You with me? Okay, so let's look back at our text in 1 Peter. I want you to notice that the end game for the Christian, the end game, the the thing we're looking to accomplish is not just to, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. It's not just that, but rather to long for it so that by it, by your eager and frequent consumption of it, you might grow or mature as a believer, as a Christian. Look back at the text. That's what it says. 1 Peter chapter 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. You may grow up into salvation. Now, you can leave that up there for just a moment, brother. Thank you. This last phrase, that you may grow up into salvation, could certainly be under, uh, misunderstood, okay? To, you might look at it and go, what is he talking about, grow up into salvation? Again, context is helpful here. When we were in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, both times that Peter speaks of in chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 5, and in verse 9, both times when he speaks about salvation, he's speaking about the the future, our future salvation, the full consummation of all that will be ours in Christ as believers. Okay, so he's looking forward to that time where 
all the glories and promises of salvation will be made complete. All right? So, one writer says, do not, the words into salvation, grow up into salvation, do not imply that growth produces or merits salvation. He's not saying, if you, if you crave for the word of God, you'll eventually get saved. That's not what Peter's saying. Rather, they indicate that present spiritual growth moves forward and will consummate, may be made perfect and complete in future salvation and all its fullness that has been promised to us in the word of God. So we, as we long for the pure spiritual milk, continue to grow up into that great glorification that is coming to us, into that great salvation. We continue to mature and be made more like Jesus Christ. Okay? So two thoughts about that. One, we cannot grow then because our growth comes through this hunger for and nourishment by the word. We cannot grow without the nourishing milk of the word. That's just one thought. We cannot grow without it. We grow by it. We grow by our our eagerness for it, our longing for it, and what is implied, consumption of it. Okay? Second, we never reach a place in this life where we can stop growing. We are growing through it into that great salvation that is coming. In other words, you don't reach a place where you go, yeah, I'm done. I I finally, I have reached the level of adulthood in my Christian life. That is not what's indicated by the text. We continue to crave like newborn infants this spiritual milk, and by it we continue to grow up into the great salvation that God has promised to us and is working in and out through us. You hear me? So we need the word. We continue. We need it. We need to feed on it, and we can have, need to continue to feed on it. There is never a point where you should be stopping concerning these things. Now look back at the text. Uh, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, if indeed, grammatically, it's linked with long for the pure spiritual milk. So if you, if you can look back at your Bibles, you, you can see what I'm talking about. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. And then he makes this comment, but really you could just say, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Long for the pure spiritual milk, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, listen, Peter is not questioning or doubting if his readers are believers. He's not saying, I mean, if you have, I wonder, I wonder if that's the case. That's not what's being communicated here. That wouldn't fit with anything that Peter's already said, who's acknowledged their salvation in Christ and affirmed it, okay? So what is he doing? This is so cool. One writer says this, If does not imply doubt, the conditional construction, if indeed, is an implied invitation to the readers to self-examination of the matter. The verb tasted continues the imagery of the milk. 
A taste excites the appetite. Peter assumes that the enjoyableness of the past experience will incite them to further appropriation or taking of the milk to their own. So in other words, so that's all that means. In verse 3, Peter is really doing what he's doing there. He's providing an incentive to his Christian readers to crave the milk of the word. Okay? Because the conditional statement, if indeed you have tasted that the, that the Lord is good. So they go, I have indeed. Yes, I have. I've tasted. And when you taste something good, do you want less of it or more of it? Huh? Just can't have one. I just can't have. Yes, indeed, I have tasted. It's a reminder. Think back. If indeed you have tasted the Lord is good, come on. Yeah, I have, Peter. You are right. And it incites them toward the craving. One writer says, Christian yearning for the milk of the word has its stimulus in past experience. It is an experience that leaves believers desiring more. Okay? If you'll think about it. And if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, one more thing about this, and I love this. You'll notice, though, in verse 3, that Peter doesn't say it's the milk that tastes good, but the Lord. You see that? If indeed, he's still in this milk imagery, but here he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Why? Commenting on that, one writer says, how can the goodness of the Lord be a reason to long for the words of Scripture or the milk. The connection is more natural than it first appears. Peter is assuming that the words of Scripture are the words of the Lord. So to read or listen to Scripture is to hear the Lord speak, to take his good and nourishing words into one's heart. To drink the milk of the word is to taste again and again what he is like. For in the hearing of the Lord's words, believers experience the joy of personal fellowship with the Lord himself. Moreover, those words give direction into his good past for life and give promises of his continued goodness in time of need. Well, we can't talk enough about the word. We can't. You can't think enough about it. It, it is where you and I encounter the living Lord. It is by and through the word that you and I are able to have fellowship with the Lord and taste the goodness of the Lord. You with me? One writer adds to that this. He says this. There, Peter's readers, eager appropriation of the milk of the word has brought them into direct contact with the Lord who gave the word. And then he says this. The true aim of Bible study is never a mere mastery of its contents but a transforming experience with the Lord who reveals himself 
in his word. Huh? It's not some just intellectual exercise. Your intellect should be engaged. You don't check out your mind. But beloved, it is way more than that as you as you begin to read and meditate on and study the scriptures. It is an encounter with the living Lord, your Lord, if you are a believer. So important. And think about how often we stay away. Think about it now. Just think about it. Think about, generally speaking, how difficult it is for people to remain in this book. Christians. I'm talking now Christians. If you're only picking this up on Sunday and engaging with it, even maybe just limited to this back and forth that we're having a little bit here, if that's the only time, then think about what you're missing out on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Think about why your soul, why your soul is dry. Right? Some people don't know. They go, I don't know why I feel so dry in my soul, why I feel so disconnected from the Lord. Have you been in his word? Have you encountered him there? Because that's where he is. Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord, which is revealed in his word? Huh? And this is why we keep encouraging on a regular basis, Bible reading, Bible reading, Bible study, Bible meditation, so you can recall that good word and the good Lord who gave it again and again, devotions, all of that, encouraging it, not so that you can gain brownie points with God, but so that you can encounter your God and thereby grow. Now, having said all that, let's look back at verse 1. Okay? How does verse 1 connect with everything else? Well, let's look at it. The SV reads this way. So put away, that word was a word used for taking off clothes. So cast off the clothes. Cast off is another translation. You take the clothes and you throw them off. So put them away. Cast them off. What? Your clothes? No. Sin. Specifically, he says here, all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. See a word repeated there over and over again is the word all, right? So no exceptions, put away any and all forms of these sins. Put them away, cast them off. Don't let them be a part of you any longer, all right? So, so put away, uh, also sometimes translated therefore, implies that verse 1 flows from something Peter has already said, okay? So it's not a new, he's not just starting brand new. In other words, I've said all this, so, okay? Now I'm saying this, you with me? So there's a so or therefore there in the original text. So what was Peter just talking about? Now, uh, there's a difference of opinion about what this is supposed to be connected back to 
in what he just said. But I think most naturally, as you just read through the letter and you're reading it, the connection, especially with the sins he says to cast off, is with loving one another. That was the command that he just gave at the end of chapter 1. It was a command for brothers and sisters in Christ to earnestly or constantly, if you remember as we went through that passage, love one another. I think that's the connection. So if you look back at verse 22 of 1, chapter 1, he says, "...having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart." Okay, so one commentator says this, so put away, now in chapter 2, verse 1, resumes the line of argument, which was interrupted by verses 23 through 25, where he begins to talk about the word of God. The word so, or therefore, refers back to the command, love one another in verse 22. So you might read it like this, hey, love one another, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So all the sins listed here in verse 1, they're relational sins or social in nature. And all of them, every single one of them, would prevent the believer from loving one another as he or she is called to do. Every single one of them. So, for instance, we'll quickly go through them. Malice. Ill will toward others. Ill will toward others. Or spite. Or hateful feelings toward others. Right? And uh, that quickly destroys the harmony of relationships. Do not have any ill will toward others. Deceit. Okay? Deceit. The word translated deceit was a Greek word that originally meant bait, a bait for fish. A bait for fish. And then it came to mean or to be used in this way to basically to get a better to get the better of another by deception and cunning. You think of a fish, right? I'm deceiving the fish so I can get one over on the fish through the use of this bait. So deceit. You deceive either through your cunningness or your deception. You deceive in order to to get an advantage on someone else. Hypocrisy. We've talked about this before. The idea is putting on a mask. Uh, One writer describes it as a man who all the time is concealing his real motives, a man who meets you with a face which is very different from his heart and with words which are very different from his real feelings. He's not sincere. He's not genuine. And it's interesting because in verse 22 where Peter talks about a sincere love, he uses the word sincere, the definition of that is love without hypocrisy. Sincere, genuine love, not faked, feigned love. Envy, okay? All of these are destructive to the harmony of a church and to the love that they are to have for one another. Envy, well, you know that, right? You know what envy is? That's the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or prosperity of someone else. So instead of rejoicing with them, instead of celebrating God's blessings or their successes or some good things that have happened in their life, in your heart you resent it. Envy. Usually what follows that is covetousness, then you desire it, what they have as well. You resent them and you desire what they have. 
It's interesting. Proverbs 14.30 says that envy makes the bones rot. That's true. And it destroys relationships. Slander, right? So generally, this is speech that runs down or disparages another or denigrates another. It deliberately assaults the character of another. Usually takes place behind the victim's back, usually. It's a character assassination. And I would add to that, if you look at both times that Peter uses the, the word again, uh, the related verb in the letter, both in 1 Peter 2.12, where it's translated speak against, and in 1 Peter 3.15 and 16, where it just says slandered when you are slandered. These are, in both those cases, it's false accusations being brought against other folks in order to ruin them, to, to bring them lower in the eyes of others. All bad, right? All these sins basically aim at harming the other person. And uh, does that happen in a church? Yeah, mm -hmm. it does because the church is filled with people. That is what the church is, the people of God. And the people of God are not yet perfected and still can do some terrible things to one another as they are not uh, living and abiding under the Spirit of God, but rather walking in according to their flesh, and allowing their sin to dominate them instead of saying no to it. Okay? Similar instructions like this are found in other places in God's Word, so it's not new information. You see it in Ephesians 4.31. There Paul says, Let all bitterness, speaking to the church, and wrath, right? He's not speaking to the unchurch, he's speaking to the church! Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Don't let, it, don't let it on you at all. It shouldn't be part of your clothing at all, along with all malice. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now. Okay? That's the list. We went through it. Certainly, you can see the connection. It's flowing out of his discussion, a rarely command to, to love one another. Makes sense. But listen, there's also some connection with verse 2. There's some connection with verse 2. I told you verse 1 is not a separate statement or not disconnected from verse 2, but it's actually in the original Greek connected to it. Let me show you that again in the New American Standard Bible that more accurately reflects that. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, this like newborn babies, that's just a comment. So you could, he's just, he's saying, do it like this, okay? But you could remove that. You could remove that. So it might help you see the connection. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, long, putting these away, long, for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So one scholar just says what I've already said to you. The grammar of the Greek here, as you look at it without getting too technical, indicates this, that before their craving for milk can be realized, there must be a definite break with the evils that hinder spiritual growth. Another writer says this, no new sentence begins here in the Greek text, that is in verse 2, as I've already made clear to you. 
And the connection Peter intended is probably best preserved by the New American Standard Bible, which I've read to you. Therefore, as I just said, putting aside verse 1, long for the pure milk. Verse 2, he goes on to say, Peter implies that putting away unloving practices, verse 1, is necessary for spiritual growth, verse 2. For the two verses are part of one long command. Someone who is practicing deceit or envy or slander will not be able truly to long for pure spiritual milk. So these relational sins will effectively, if left unchecked, if not put away, will hinder your motivation for the word. They'll hinder it. They're they're baggage from our past that we need to leave at the airport and not go back and get if we want to fly anywhere with the Lord. They are opposed to spiritual growth. So, beloved, you know, people talk about, it, it could be that you don't, people have said, I don't really have a craving for the Word of God. Well, that could be because you're not a believer. I mean, pure and simple, it could be that. It could also be that there are seasons where we're constantly, I mean, think about it. If this, if this is the means by which we encounter the living God and grow up into our salvation, then what do you think the enemy of our souls will fight against the most? What do you think, let's set him aside for a second, what do you think your own flesh, your fallen flesh, will fight against the most? This very thing. You want to have a battle? This is where it is. But don't surrender. Of course it's going to be a battle because this is key. This is key to the Christian's growth and life and relationship with the Lord. His craving for it, his his consuming of it, his passion for it. Okay? But it may also be that there is sin that you need to repent of. That sin is hindering your desire for the Word of God. Someone once said that God's Word will keep you from sin. Okay? And then they went on to say, and sin will keep you from God's Word. It, it will, beloved. And I, I think, I believe that is, we can draw that truth here from Peter's words in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Put these things away and long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Beloved, like infants, we need to long for that milk. We need to cast off our sin that hinders these cravings for it, and remember the blessing as an incentive to crave it of our past experience that we have had with it when we indeed tasted that the Lord was good. Okay? Let me just speak for just a quick moment to those who uh, don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is true of you, if you, you are not a Christian, or you're not even sure what that means, 
you have not been born again, then you indeed have never tasted that the Lord is good. You have not. You have not tasted the goodness of the Lord. You have not tasted the sweetness of the encounter of Jesus Christ through his word and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have not experienced his saving kindness. Why don't you do it? Why don't you do it right now? Why don't you taste and see that the Lord is good? And you will know he is good if you will read his word and believe it and embrace it. You will know because in that word you will find the salvation that you need for your soul. If you are a sinner who has not yet placed their faith, their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has not yet repented of their sin and turned to him and recognized him as the Savior of humanity, as their, as your particular Savior, do it! And you too will know, you too will know the goodness of the Lord. And I, I pray that you would do that and not walk out of here again. Again, in your state. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I thank you for your word. And Father, the importance of it, it's so, so critical for us as believers. Father, I pray that that imagery of the infant and his or her craving for his mother's milk will be burned into our minds that we too, like infants, would crave your word. By it we have tasted indeed that the Lord is good. Father, help us to take this call seriously, to see that often our, our, our difficult times and our, and our depressions and our anxieties and, and all these things that plague us are are often the result of not craving after the word of God and there finding the goodness of the Lord and being relieved of all these things that we allow to consume our hearts and our souls. Father, may we see the word of God for what it is, a gift, a treasure that you have given to us freely. Lord, may we delight in it and may we repent of of our sins that, that keep us or, or, or encourage us not to go to that very word, Lord. May we live lives that honor you and glorify you that we might find ourselves desiring to continue to go back to the well that is your word from which we draw our living water. And Father God, for those who have not yet encountered the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ by embracing your word the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that, that they may even, before they leave here, speak to someone who's up front or who brought them or someone they know and, and talk about a desire to do that so that they might embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We ask your blessing on the church, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.